of how many times we've heard through the news and elsewhere about somebody who lived miserly and literally like people who have nothing. And that when they die, they discover that they have been hoarding money and they're very, very wealthy. Sometimes children who come from privileged background and they throw it all away. Some people come from great family name, and yet they are ashamed of their family name. From a secular perspective, I came across this statement by Oscar Wilde, who is a, uh, a great playwright. He made a confession toward the end of his life, and here's what he said. And just understand, this person does not know the Lord. And he said, the gods have given me almost everything. But I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. I tired of being on the heights. I deliberately went to the depths in search for a new sensation. I forgot that every action of a common day makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber, one has some day to cry aloud from the housetop. I ceased to be lord of myself. Uh, I was no longer the captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended up in horrible disgrace. And when you read this, you cannot help but say, what a tragedy that that sensitive spirit did not know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a tragedy that somebody like that has never known the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. It's really tragic to see people who are living just about all of their life in the burning fire of guilt, and they don't know how to receive relief. But then I thought, there's even greater tragedy than this. It really is. There's greater tragedy, and it is when believers in the Lord Jesus Christ live their lives in ignorance or denial or both of the privileges that they have in Christ. Some believers live indifferent to the enormous blessings, and I'm not talking about material blessings, the enormous privileges of who they are in Jesus Christ. And because of that ignorance, because of that indifference, they live not only like spiritual paupers, but they become fearful to contend for the faith. They become fearful to stand up and be counted. They become fearful of lovingly take a stand for the truth. They are fearful to speak the truth in love. And that is why Jude, before he could challenge the true genuine believers to be contenders for the truth of the faith, before he could do that, he had to remind them of the special privileges that they have in Jesus Christ. And he starts with that in his epistle. I'm going to come to it in a minute. Jude himself was a half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that he is so humbled by the grace of Jesus that he is so in awe of the privileges that he has in Jesus that he calls himself doulos, a bond slave of Jesus, a slave of Jesus. He only introduces himself as the brother of James, slave of Jesus, brother of James. After the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible said that uh, there were four brothers and unnumbered sisters of Jesus who were born in a natural way. Matthew 13, 55, name all four of them. And also Mark 6, 3. And Paul alludes to that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. Matthew tells us it was James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude and then number of sisters. And yet Jude finds himself feeling so unworthy to call himself the half-brother of Jesus. He says, I am the doulos of Jesus. Now you remember, of course, in John chapter 7, verse 5, the Bible said that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Oh, but after the resurrection, all that's changed. All that's changed after the resurrection, James, the first of the four brothers, he becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and he literally dies a martyr's death for the sake of Christ. And then Jude, the middle brother, he becomes a great evangelist, and he writes this magnificent epistle. I want you to hear me right. This is really important. You see, to Jude, his relationship to Jesus as Jesus' servant is far greater privilege than him having family connections. Now, you and I would probably milk that to the hilt, you know. I'm Jude, I'm half-brother of Jesus. For him to call himself a bond servant of Jesus is far superior than any family ties. To him, he counts it a privilege to be owned and operated by Jesus, to be submissive to Jesus, to be under the authority of Jesus, to be a slave of Jesus. Now, that's very important here, because what he's trying to do and what he's going to get into doing is to contrast himself as a true believer and all the true believers on the one hand with the apostates who are in the church and maybe even teachers and preachers in the church. He's making that contrast very clear. You say, what is the apostate? They are the ones who say that they believe in Jesus, but they live in disobedience to Jesus. They are the ones who claim that Jesus is their Savior, but He's not the only Savior. They're the ones who claim that they are drawn to Jesus, but they love Him not with all of their hearts. Those who are apostates who say, I believe in Jesus just like I believe in Shakespeare. The apostates. Jude is not only overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. Jude is not only considering it a great privilege to call himself a bond servant of Jesus, but he wants every true believer to remember their privileges in Jesus. Beloved, listen to me, and if I can tell you that there is one item 
that distinguish between those believers who live in victory and those who live in defeat, those who are living above their circumstances and those who are living under the circumstances. The difference is that those who comprehend their privileges in Christ, those who drink deeply of that privilege, those who are overwhelmed by these privileges on a continuous basis. I'm not talking about coming to church on Sunday and just remember those privileges. I am talking about day in and day out, moment by moment. Those who are absolutely saturating their life in their comprehension of what those privileges are, they will have the courage to contend for the truth. And that is why he starts there. In the last message, you remember, I told you that one plea that Jude makes in his epistle is for the believers to contend for the truth of their faith. What are these privileges that should encourage us and empower us and motivate us and equip us for life's battle? Well, there are four in number. So, in order to look at them, I want you to please turn with me to Jude. It's only one chapter. I'm only going to look at the first two verses. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in the God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love multiply to you. Father, without you opening our spiritual eyes, we cannot possibly comprehend the incredible wealth of those few words. And so, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will move among us right now, begin to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are the four incredible privileges that true believers have in Jesus Christ. And they are far greater than all of the wealth of the world. First of all, we are conscripted by God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to explain to you I'm using that word deliberately. Secondly, we are beloved by God the Father. And thirdly, we are kept by God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And fourthly, we are abundantly blessed by the Holy Trinity. He's saying the true believers are called by God, by God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who calls us. Ah, but that is not the same word as God calling sinners to come and repent and believe in Him. God is forever through us calling the world, repent and turn to me. Turn from your wicked ways so that I may have mercy on you. That is a different kind of call from the one that Jude is talking about here more accurate translation, be conscripted or compelled. And that is why I used it in my outline. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about that moment that we all, every one of us, have been there. And if you haven't, hopefully, I trust that today would be that moment for you. But every true believer has been in a situation in our lives when we were dead toward our sin and trespasses. At one point in our lives, we're all born with it. We were in total denial as to the power of sin in our life. We were in total denial 
as to our need, desperate need for a Savior. We were in total denial to our desperate condition. And then the Holy Spirit came in. You have not seen Him, but He came in and then supernaturally opened our spiritual eyes and raised us from our spiritual death. All of a sudden, the dead carcass inside of us began to shake and said, wow, I'm about to live now. I've been dead and I'm awake. And when you woke up, that spiritual awakening, that moment, you become so overwhelmed with the fact that you have offended a holy God, that you are a sinner, that you can never save yourself, that you are desperately in need of the Savior to forgive your sins and to reconcile you with God the Father and indeed to give you eternal life. That is the moment when you rose from spiritual death. That is the moment when the call of God came upon your life, conscripted you to come, compelled you to come and to see the truth. It is the same call of which Jesus said in John 6, He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, calls him, conscripts him. How wonderful, how wonderful that in the sovereign wisdom of God, He calls us by His grace, by His sovereign will, by His good pleasure, by His own mercy, or by His own graciousness. What a wonderful blessing to be conscripted by God, to be called by God. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with what you have done. And that in itself should cause us to abandon ourselves to Christ. That by itself should cause us to give ourselves, to be motivated to contend for the truth regardless of the cost and regardless of who says what. But that's not all. Secondly, he said, you are beloved by God the Father. That's another word that is beyond comprehension. And I do not claim to understand it or comprehend it, and I'm convinced that I will not comprehend it until I get to heaven, until get to the other side of glory. Why? Because we're not just loved by God, but we are beloved by Him. And there's a world of difference. I'm going to explain this to you in a minute. Before the creation of the world, you are beloved by God. Before the earth was formed, you are beloved by God uniquely. But that's not all. Let me illustrate. I really, I had a hard time. I said, I've got to illustrate. I've got to explain it to you. And the best way I can come up with, humanly speaking, is that when a man loves a woman, they become exclusive for each other. The man should never be able to love another woman in the same way. Listen, I love lots of people. I love you as my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you. But I have exclusive type of love for Elizabeth. I love you, but she is my beloved. What does that mean? It means that I am set apart for her. It means that I am set aside for her. It means that I am uniquely belong to her. In the same way, there is a difference between God loving lost people and His beloved toward the saved, toward His children. There is a world of difference. For God so loved the world. He loves, the whole, he loves His creation. He loves the world. He loves the sinners. But then believers are beloved, not just loved. Did you get that? Say amen. 
And that is why when John gets so overwhelmed with this type of beloving in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he said, How great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. You know, you hear people, and especially non-believing politicians, always talking about, we are all the children of God. We're all the children. I want to stand up and shout and say, no, 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 no. We're all the creation of God. (laughs) We're not all the children of God. Only those who are conscripted, only those who are saved, only those who are beloved, they are the children of God. When you comprehend that, when you realize that, when you internalize that, that you are not just loved but beloved by God the Father, you will defeat any temptation in your life. Listen to me. When you focus on this fact alone, and when you make it your food and your drink and your thought by day and by night, when you realize that you are uniquely beloved, you will defeat doubt, you will defeat fear, and you will defeat worry every time. I told you the difference between a defeated Christian and a victorious Christian is the one who understands these privileges, and it will make all the difference in your life. When you begin to comprehend this, not just on a Sunday morning, put your church mask on, and you sitting there smiling like a Cheshire cat and looking at me. No, 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 no. These are incredible privileges that God has given us. When you meditate on the fact that you're not just loved, but you are beloved, you will have all the courage that you need to contend for the truth of the faith. And that's why where Jude had to start before he can go and say contend for the faith. When you realize that you are not just loved, but you are beloved. (laughs) And you are beloved not because of who you are, what your value is, what your net worth is, what righteousness you have accomplished, because the Bible said all of our righteousness like a dirty rag in His sight. But then you realize that you are valuable, that you are worthy because you are beloved. It's a world of difference. When you comprehend all of this, there is nothing that you're not going to do in gratitude and in thanksgiving to the God who beloved you. Not only that we are conscripted by God, the Holy Spirit, that we are beloved by God the Father, but thirdly, He said we are kept by God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? to be kept by Jesus. Listen, you are, and all the true believers, are in a triple lock position with God. And since there is no power in the universe, there is no power in the world greater than the power of Jesus. You know what He said when He gave His disciples what we call the Great Commission to go out and preach the gospel? You know what He said? He said, all power has been given to me. How much of that power? All power is given to me. And since there is no power in the universe that is greater than the power of Jesus, and because of that, no one and nothing and no power in the world, no force in the universe can ever pry you loose out of Jesus' hand. What a comfort. What a comfort. And that is why the believer does not habitually sin. That's why the believer does not 
continuously sin. That's why the real true believer does not stay in sin for too long. But the moment they sin, they turn back to their daddy and they confess their sin and receive his forgiveness. Ah, but here's the problem. There are so many people in the churches who look like Christians. There are so many people in the churches who look like sheep. There are so many people who are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're occupying pulpits across the land. And they live in habitual sin without conviction. And then they talk about the grace of God. I'm going to explain that in the next message. They are perverting the grace of God. Why? Why are they doing this? Because their nature has never changed. Their nature has never changed. And that is why a true believer is not afraid of false teachers, but he or she is willing to take them on. Why? Because we are confident of who we are? Absolutely not. Because of the confidence that we have in the one who is keeping us eternally. Uh, Because we know that He will empower us to contend for the truth, not of our own strength, but His. How does Jesus keep us in a triple-lock position? Well, the Bible said that He is forever continuously interceding on behalf of the believers. Isn't that amazing? When you think about it, that your name is being mentioned in heaven every day. (laughs) Your name has been mentioned in high places, and you don't know it. Jesus is continuously watching over you. He's interceding for you, and that should fill you with unspeakable joy and confidence and awe. Conscripted by God the Holy Spirit, beloved by God the Father, kept by God the Son. Fourthly, overwhelmingly, abundantly blessed by the Holy Trinity. When you think about it, there are basically three major themes that dominate our lives. The first one is our relationship with God. Secondly, our relationship with ourselves, and then our relationship with others. You think about it, those three themes literally are the overarching themes of life. When you come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Jude said that you're going to have an abundance of mercy. What does it mean? It means that He does not give you what you deserve. And listen to me, for that I am one grateful dude. (laughs) When it comes to our relationship with ourselves, I think you know, and I know, that we have seen people who live in a state of war. There's war in their heads. There are wars inside of them. There are wars in their homes. There are wars everywhere they go. There are wars in their wills, and they're fighting, and it's all going on. Oh, but when you know the mercy of God, because you know the mercy of God, because you have experienced the mercy of God, therefore you're going to have inward peace. It doesn't mean that we have some occasions when our peace is disturbed. and No, but I'm talking about continuously. Inward peace. Peace of knowing that my sins, not in part but in whole, were all forgiven. Peace from knowing that my guilt 
has been erased. And peace in knowing that I am under the ownership and the operation of Jesus. And Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not like the peace that the world gives that I give to you. What does that mean? He said, I'm not going to give you that phony peace. I'm not going to give you that temporary peace. I'm not going to give you that occasional peace in your life. I'm going to give you a permanent peace, my peace. You will experience after you realize and appropriate God's mercy. And Jude said that these blessings of the Lord of the Holy Trinity are so abundant in giving us of His mercy and in giving us of His peace and in giving us of His love. He lavished them on us. He gave them to us multiplied. You know, in the years that I spent fighting for the truth in an apostate church, taught me a whole lot of things. I learned a lot from these people. I really learned. I remember clearly their strategy of silencing true believers from speaking the truth. And they do it so cleverly, and they do it so sanctimoniously. And you know how they do it? In order to shut us up from speaking the truth? You are just not loving. You're a bigoted person. You're homophobe. You are not loving, Michael. Man, I heard that so many times, I wonder if it's a compliment and I'm not aware of it. <laughs> you're not loving. And I took time to think about this. So when somebody said, you're not loving, and you know in your heart that you have love for God and love for people, and you know that deep down, I mean, they can mess with your head. Don't let them. Don't let them. Because I'm going to tell you, their idea of love is very different from God's idea of love. They're talking about two different words, <laughs> but they call it that. Their idea of love is the capitulation to sin. Their idea of love is the compromise with sin. Their idea of love is the muddying the truth. Their idea of love is the acceptance of wrong. Their idea of love is the baptizing of sin into the church. Oh, but God's idea of love is different. God's idea of love is to clarify the truth. God's idea of love is to confront the wrong. God's idea of love is to warn of the danger of sin. God's idea of love is to lead people to the truth. But they will try to intimidate us nonetheless. Believers who have received mercy from God, they have peace of mind. And they have both multiplied love for God and for others. No matter what they say, we know in our hearts that we love the Lord and we love people. And when you have mercy and peace and love in abundance, you cannot help it, but you want others to know about it. Because with these blessings, with these privileges come a great deal of responsibility. I'm going to tell you about this in the next message when we get to verse 4. But I don't think I can end this message without speaking to that person who's here today who has never experienced the mercy of God. They don't know what it feels like to experience the abundance mercy of God. And therefore, they don't have peace of mind 
internal peace. I want to speak to that person today. You can literally throw yourself on the mercy of God, and you can come to Him at this moment that you throw yourself on His mercy. You're not only going to receive mercy, you're going to receive peace, and you're going to have love thrown in. Father, I am so overwhelmed by Your grace, the true and genuine grace of God. I am so thankful that You compelled me and that I am beloved. I'm so grateful that I am kept by Jesus, not by my efforts, not by my hard work, not by what I can do for you, but I'm kept by Jesus. And Father, I bless you for your mercy, peace, and love. Today, I pray, Holy Spirit, move with power, and every heart is bowing before you. Only you know where we are individually, and only you can produce fruit in us. And we pray that we may produce fruit today that heaven will rejoice. For we pray in that mighty, precious name that's above every name, who's at that name one day every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.